0: Want exclusive content and a say on Emerging Cricket's direction? Support us on Patreon. From as little as $2 a month, you'll be helping us grow the game outside its traditional centres. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreo slash Emerging Cricket. Today, we chat again to Kevin O'Brien in part two of our sit-down interview. Welcome again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast across the usual listening spots. I'm Daniel Beswick. I'll be joined by Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner in a few moments' time as we chat to Kevin O'Brien in part two of our special with him, but first some news from around the world and some breaking news involving our very own. Tim Cutler has been announced as Cricket Vanuatu's new CEO, taking over from Shane Dietz, who has departed to join the Dutch women's team in a coaching role. Cutler joins new men's head coach Jeremy Bray, who was appointed in January and is likely to begin his tenure in mid-April. Cutler was the CEO of Hong Kong Cricket from 2015 to 2017. We'll have more on Tim's appointment next week on the show. Hashmatullah Shahidi has become the first Afghan player to score a test double century, finishing unbeaten on 200 against Zimbabwe at the Sheikh Zayed Stadium in his team's first innings. Afghanistan captain Asghar Afghan called his team's declaration after Shahidi reached the milestone, with Zimbabwe finishing the day trailing by 495 runs. And finally, USA's Parag Marathe has been re-elected by USA Cricket as an independent director of the board. Marathe enters his fourth year in USA Cricket and also serves as president of 49ers Enterprises for the San Francisco 49ers in the NFL, as well as vice-chairman of Leeds United of the English Premier League. That's all the news around the emerging cricket world coming up, part two with Kevin O'Brien.
1: I'm Jared Kimber and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast the John Davison of Associate
2: Cricket Podcasts.
1: So just looking at the um, the test situation, you know, you're on the outside looking in, in a way, you know, there's the World Test Championship with nine countries and Ireland is excluded from that. You know, it was a long, uh, a long meandering path to get to test status, but now you're in this kind of halfway house almost between, you know, test status and not test status, do you, do you think looking back, was it worth it? Or, you know, knowing what you do now, looking, you know, sort of at the financial side and, and how little test cricket you do play, would you have taken maybe a different path you yeah, we've seen several associates now targeting full member cricket without test status and and, and only going on the white ball side of things.
3: Well, I I, I could be wrong, but I mean, I, I under the illusion that to become a full member, you know, you've got to have a first class system in place. Um, and I think you've got to aspire to play test cricket. Now, I could be wrong, but I think everyone in Cricket Ireland certainly thought that. And, um, you know, I think, I mean, I don't know the financials of, of hosting a test match and that, you know, how, how much it it costs and you know if you lose money or you know how many people you need through the gate to make money or whatnot you know i just try and concentrate on playing but i think as a player certainly all the effort that we we put in as players and as coaches and support staff with us you know i think it was certainly worth it to go okay we've only played three tests but you know we can call ourselves test cricketers you know people can tell their friends that they've played test cricket you know there there are a certain number and over history that have played so that means a lot to people and it certainly means a lot to me you know I'm, I'm pretty kind of inspired by that you know and I, I kind of take history the history of cricket you know that means a lot to me and to, to see that the best players in the world have been successful over test cricket and you know I can call myself a test cricketer alongside them that's pretty cool for me
1: yeah, the historical context is what makes Test cricket special, I guess. Um, you know, just looking at you know the situation in Ireland a bit more generally. Tim Brooks sent through a question about how do you think cricket can be a bit more commercially viable? Because I, I know that Ireland do struggle financially um, a, a lot of the time in, in, in the administrative side of things.
3: Yeah, well, I think you know certainly from Cricket Ireland's point of view. Listen, there's people employed in Cricket Ireland who know more about marketing and advertising, you know, more than I do. But, you know, I think certainly they, they should be looking at, and I'm sure they are, different ways to promote the game here. You know, whether if we're playing against a certain team, you know, if it's a test match or if it's, um, you know, just an ODI, you know, do we need to build a, a, a big stadium? Can, can we not just go along the lines of the way New Zealand have it, you know, and have grass banks, certainly like we have in Malahide, you know, and let people bring their picnic basket and their own seats and that type of thing and charge less per... Per ticket you don't have to charge more to to cover the cost of hiring the big stand and try and make it more viable that way certainly from an income point of view of the actual match you know so i'm sure there's a way there are ways to limit your costs of hosting games you know and i'm sure cricket are have looked at all that but you know i suppose the big thing is for test cricket is do you need drs and all you all know, hawkeye and all that kind of stuff i think you need certain there is a certain criteria that you that you need the limit or the minimum amount to host the test so obviously all that technology increases the cost of hosting a game but certainly for for odis and stuff you know there probably are ways of of reducing costs for sure
1: well i mean i i went to the uh, i cup game at malahide in against the netherlands and it was, it was a beautiful day you know people were sitting on the hill and as you said picnics and uh, rugs and and I mean a lot of rugs because it was quite cold but uh yeah it was it was just a nice day out and I think that is a much you know the the charming side of the cricket grounds like that i I really enjoy yeah
3: yeah I think something that I know in the past you know cricket artists have tried to look at how New Zealand has gone about it and, and to be honest like we're we're a fairly similar country you know obviously rugby would be New Zealand's number one sport you know we obviously have the Gaelic games here which is which is massive you know so cricket would fall underneath obviously in New Zealand cricket's probably number two. Um, you know, it's certainly probably the biggest summer sport, but it'll be the, probably the second biggest sport in the country. So, and it's a similar population on New Zealand. We're about five million New Zealand. Similar enough, they probably have a slightly better climate than us, but you know, I think certainly, um, that's a, a country that Cricket Ireland should be looking to kind of copy their success. Of you know, we don't need the big stadiums like they have in Australia or even England, you know, we don't need a stadium that holds 15,000, in my opinion. Because I've played a lot of cricket in Ireland, I've played a lot of internationals in Ireland, you know, we don't generally get big crowds, we get you know, a thousand here, two and a half thousand there. You just really need to cater for who's going to come through the gate. But the biggest thing is in Malahide, you know, you there's no permanent pavilion. Uh, change rooms etc etc so that's a that's a fairly big issue
0: i was just going to pick up on the new zealand idea because they they talked about it the other day in the coverage i think it was in the um, new zealand women's one day international against england and they talked about how in new zealand as opposed to to england they had contrasting examples of when kids are growing up playing sport they don't need to specialize in one sport straight away in Mm. places like new zealand we find that here in australia too i'm sure it's the same in ireland with the sports you have on offer there but looking at, at say, the English model, and they get kids to basically pick and specialise a sport very, very early in in their lives. The seasons overlap quite markedly, so it forces, you know, a kid at, say, 14 or 15 to specialise in a sport, whereas New Zealand, they actually encouraged everyone to play as many sports as they could. And there's so many different stories of of Kiwi athletes who could have been all blacks or they could have been black caps. It was just a case of which sport they liked more. What's the situation in in your part of the world in regards to, to something like that?
3: Yeah, so it's tricky, you know, obviously, you know, rugby and soccer would be you know winter sports you know I know the soccer season is extended a little bit because our obviously our winters are so bad you know a lot of games do get cancelled kind of in December January time so they've extended the season a little bit into kind of spring which is fine but yeah for me I mean I'm I'm, I'm going to talk as a parent you know I've got two kids certainly for me I'm going to try and get them to play every sport I'm going to get them to try everything you know whether it be ballet or it can it be you know cricket or hockey or dance class anything at all you know because I grew up playing four Four or five sports. I grew up playing Gaelic. I grew up obviously playing cricket and hockey, soccer. You know, there was a tennis club down the road associated with my sports club. So I was down there in the summer, during the week, in the morning. And you know, it was for me. It was a great opportunity to to learn other sports and learn the skills needed in other sports that obviously then I brought into cricket. So for me, you know, the the options to play as many sports as you can as a child, grown up, it's it's absolutely necessary, I suppose. Here, you know, it, it does need people who are involved in sports to have an open mind of I'm going to say let a kid in inverted commas, you know let let the child go off and try cricket, or let them go off and try tennis, or soccer or or hockey or rugby you know let them try sports at at all the underage game to see which one they like because you know kids will 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 fall into whatever you know whatever sport they like to play it may may not be a sport and that's fine as well but you know i think from a sports point of view is to try and let children play as many sports as they can you know and and then pick at a certain age the sport that they want to play most i think that's most important is is let let the sport let the child choose the sport that they really feel comfortable with you know that they have most friends in and if that's something that you know you're not experienced in as a parent or you know you, you've got to respect that decision in my opinion
1: i'm just imagining an irish version of billy Elliot with a an ex-pro cricketer who really wants his kids to play cricket but they they're just into ballet and and that's what they love
3: oh uh, well if they, if they love it mate that's, that's, that's good by me.
0: Well, you talk about the idea of, of coaching or encouraging, you know, kids to, to get into sport. You've got yourself an academy now. Talk to us about that.
3: Yeah, so it's something I kind of started in, you know, actually 2011 after the World Cup. I um, kind of did it part time over the last, whatever is is, eight or nine years. Um, yeah, so it's just something that I'm looking to restart now this summer is to give back to the, to the game here in Ireland and, and to try and get this as many people enjoying cricket um, and improving at cricket as possible. So, yeah, I've got my own um, my own academy, Kevin O'Brien Cricket Academy here in, in based in Dublin. But, you know, I've travelled around Ireland over the last couple of years coaching in, in clubs um, all over Ireland. So, you know, I'm willing to, to get in the car and go down and, and do some, you know, small group sessions, some one-on-one stuff and also some kind of team sessions with, with clubs so it's um it's an area that you know that your your club cricketer here in Ireland um you know they probably lack certainly in the in the newer formed clubs they lack that quality coaching that hopefully uh, that I can give them
1: what's uh, what's the take up been like you know you'd think being a test cricketer as you said would would add to be you know be a bit of a draw card uh,
3: yeah so it's actually been quite good you know i think um, i touched base with a lot of my previous uh, clients and people that I coached in the past um, while I was away there in January. And, you know, after you just sent them an email or a WhatsApp, you know, and I've got about 45 people who are interested to, you know, take up some one-on-one sessions with me in the summertime. And that, and that's even without going into my own, my own club's um, youth section. So yeah, I think the demand is there. It it probably helps that cricket was, was quite high on the profile when, when I was touching base with people, you know, we were the only team really playing overseas and, you know, so that, that, that helped as well. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it'll depend a lot of my own schedule and how much I can, how much coaching I can do with, with my own playing and gyms, gym schedule and stuff like that. So, but hopefully, you know, if I can restart this summer, obviously COVID dependent, you know, once, once next season comes, I can do a bit more and, and I can try and put put some more time and focus into it uh, going forward.
1: So at the moment, it's kind of a, a roving setup rather than a you know a, a set location.
3: Yeah, well, I'll be using my home club, Railway Union Cricket Club. We're using their nets, um, you know, so that's where I'll do all my coaching. And unless a club want me to come to their training sessions, you know, during the week or on the weekend, you know, like I'll, I'll obviously just travel then. But yeah, know if if someone wants a one on one session with me or a small group session, it'll be done up in in my home club in Railway Union. So I'll just use their nets.
0: Could you give us a sneak peek as to, to how you impart your knowledge on on some of the, the future players? you go up and say, look, when there's this average right arm off spinner, let's just call <laughs> him Graham. This is what you should do? Is that how the conversation
3: goes? Yeah, just put the foot down and slug it over him middle a Show him some more YouTube clips. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, yeah, just tell him to type in my name. Um... No, yeah, definitely. Um it obviously it all depends how, how talented the, the child is or it's and it's not just children, that's the other thing. It's I've got people who, who touch base with me who play Taverners cricket. I don't know if you guys have Taverners cricket over in Australia. Um, you know, kind of the social stuff. Yeah, publics, yeah. Yeah. So I mean like there's even demand from, from those guys who want to want to improve and yeah, you know, like obviously players who play in the league, um the lower leagues here in in, in Ireland. So what I mean, I'm not going to say this is this is gospel. What 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 I believe in, and what I think as a coach is, you know, and a player is, you know, to try and, you know, if you're ba- if you're a batter, you need to you need to score runs all the time you bat, and to score runs, you need to take risks. Um, obviously, the more you train, you know, the risk you take is less because you've trained that certain shot over over a period of time, and and the biggest thing with with like your average social cricketer or your club cricketer, you know, they probably train once or twice a week at, at, at most. So I just try and, you know, try and impart, you know, some fundamental skills that they need and, you know, just let them play as natural as they can in in the session, you know, and I'll just try and give them a few uh, tips here and there. Because certainly if someone has been playing cricket for 15 or 20 years, you know, for me to go in and change technically, it's it's, it's detrimental. You no, know, and, and, it, and it comes to, you know, bowlers as well. If someone's been bowling a certain way for, you know, 10 years or so or a few years even at, at underage cricket obviously if he's injury free you know you just let him let him continue with that action because that's obviously what he's used to and for me it's just trying to improve what he has you know whether that be consistency with the ball bowling more line and length or you know maybe improving his Yorkers or a slower ball you know a, a different type of slower ball Um, you know we try and work on that
2: I'm not retiring you yet. Don't worry. But um, is Kev O'Brien the coach where you see your your future in the game as you look beyond your playing days? Is is that a a focus for you at the moment or what else is on the horizon? Well,
3: yeah, I've got two focuses. Uh, One of them is coaching and the other one, which uh, currently I don't know where, whether it, it it sits higher than coaching, but it's umpiring. Um, For some reason, I have a real keenness and interest to get into umpiring. I'm a qualified umpire. I've done my courses here in in Ireland, so through the Leinster Cricket Union, which is the area I'm based. So I'm qualified to start umpiring. You know, I've been qualified for the last couple of years, but just with my playing schedule and stuff, I just haven't got around to it, so... That's uh, kind of a goal of mine now this summer is to start umpiring and just get the the umpire's coat on and just get my hands dirty and see if I'm any good. I mean, I I umpire at training, at the Irish training sessions. I stand at the umpire during the nets. So I I do have an interest in it. Uh, I don't know where it came from. Don't ask me where it came from, but... For some reason I, I I think I want to get that umpire's uh, coat on and stand out in the middle for 6 or 7 hours.
1: Came from listening to our podcast with Claire Polisak, didn't
3: <laughs> it? I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> yes, I, I saw that actually. I, I didn't hit, I didn't listen to it, but I just saw you guys tweet about it.
2: Wrong answer. You're supposed to say <laughs> I really enjoyed both <laughs> all the stories.
0: <laughs> but for what it's worth, I I could definitely see Kevin O'Brien the umpire if it, there's looking, looking the part, and and being the part, and you've definitely already ticked one one box there. I'm I'm pretty sure you'd be able to tick two, so. I can see it. I don't know about. It. I don't want to speak on behalf of you know the the other two thirds of the emerging cricket podcast. But
1: you mean the other qualified umpires on the podcast?
0: <laughs> yeah, we got one qualified umpire here as well. With us, Probably should have left that one for Nick.
2: What are you saying that my Sutherland Shire District Junior Cricket Association umpire ticket still isn't? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I forgot about that too. Jesus, I'm out number three. 3 1 again. Yeah, it
2: didn't, didn't stop you talking, though, did it?
0: I'm a, I'm a cricketer now. I'm, you know, I'm going to argue at all the decisions. Of course, I could be worse. I could be a bowler. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, you look at someone like like Paul Rifle, who had a fast track post playing through uh, the higher grades and interstate cricket in Australia. And I know they've got an accelerated pathway in places like Australia. It sounded like what Claire was saying in the UK, there's a real backlog of of past players umpiring but you know you think perhaps in Ireland there might be an opportunity there of really kind of getting a chance there when you stop playing to be doing the inter-pro stuff and then getting on the panel on behalf of, of Ireland to to really get that exposure early without having to do you know 10 10 years on it there's a real no as soon as you said it I thought wow that's that's a great idea because there's a real opportunity there um, especially with so much cricket going on in the next few years and I'm, I'm going past 2023 here now. There's still going to be lots and lots of global events with opportunities, you know, associate cricket and, and four members. So, no, I think it's a great idea. I thought you were going to say, you know, all, all the guys that you're ambassadors for, you're thinking about getting into one of those industries, but I just love <laughs> that uh, the love for the game is going to continue. It's like, well, i have got two options. It's either coaching or umpiring. I, yeah, that's pretty good.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, and to be honest, I mean, go, just go on, you know, obviously – we have there's a couple of guys m- myself obviously and then you got Albert van der Meer who used to play cricket for Ireland and um, he played in the 2011 world cup he was an off spinner he's he's a qualified umpire and we've got Mary Waldron, who's um the the ladies wicketkeeper she's a qualified umpire as well and she's she's umpired some of the domestic stuff here the first class stuff in Ireland and she's i think she's down in Adelaide at the moment and she's umpiring um in state or not uh, first grade cricket I think over in Adelaide so she's um, she's doing well and she's she's well respected here in Ireland as an umpire so yeah there's there's a small group of you know three of us there at the moment and I'm sure there's, there's others who who played for Ireland who are considering it um but currently I think we're the only three.
1: So just uh, you know you you're talking about coaching and and uh, looking at the the kids' techniques and whatnot and the Ireland Wolves are playing at the moment uh, over in Bangladesh. Are there any young prospects coming through uh, for Ireland that you know we should be keeping an eye on over the next few years?
3: Yeah, there's a couple of guys in that squad. Obviously, there's, there's a few guys in that squad who've who've played for the senior team. You know, and Curtis Camper being one. He's he's young. He's 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 had a great start to international cricket. Um, Harry Tech, is another one. He's captain of the Ireland A-team at the moment. And Garrett Delaney's over there. So they're, they're the three that the listeners may have heard and, and would have seen play before. Um, Stephen Doheny is a very good batsman. He batted three in um, that four-day game. Uh, he's technically, he's very good. Um, a real traditional... Top-order batsman, but has the ability to kind of go up through the gears in, in, in one-day cricket. So um, I've seen a lot of Steve over the last couple of years because he, he plays for my first-class team here in Ireland. So I've actually played with him quite a bit. Um, a real level-headed kid, very, very laid-back which is which is a good thing um certainly in international cricket and and he, he also trains very hard which is, which is what you need so um he'd be probably the the one of the unknown names um who are currently over there and the other one would be uh, would be JJ Garth um he's a leg spinner young leg spin bowler um, he's also from from my uh, first class team here leinster lightning um he's he's a kind of a quick leggy uh more more suited to white ball cricket than Red Bull cricket at the moment, but um, yeah, no, he's he's promising as well.
1: Any relation to Kim, Garth?
3: Yeah, Kim's brother. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Kim's younger brother, yeah. Just another
2: Irish cricket family. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point you bring up, you know, the, the leg spin that, that's more in line with with white ball cricket. Mm. And looking at, at the T20 franchise leagues around the world that do love that that idea of a, of a quick leg spin, and we, we see them now being picked up everywhere. Paul Sterling playing in, in Pakistan at the moment. Have you found it a little bit frustrating in a way that T twenty leagues haven't been as quick to, to pick up Irish players in them, even with you guys playing well when you know tested at full member level?
3: Yeah, it is frustrating. You know, I think the the, the, the big thing, and I'm not so not going to say the only reason, but one of the reasons why potentially more Irish players haven't played, or you know, we haven't played as as much as we would like, is you know we obviously play, but we don't play enough you know, we will we, we'll play a, a one-off game here against a team and then, you know, have like four or five weeks off. So if someone was successful in that one-off game, you know, by the time of a tournament's draft is on six weeks later, you know, there, there's obviously plenty of international cricket on and there's plenty of other franchise cricket on that, that potentially other players have, have put their hands up and put in put in some good performances. So that's the main kind of downside of to us is we, we just don't play consistently enough, whether it's against the, the, the big nations or, you know, even, you know, just we don't play enough series kind of back to back to put in, you know, a prolonged period of time where where players can be consistent. And, you know, as we know, you only need one or two chances in, in these leagues. You know, you go in and you, you put in two or three good performances in the league and, you know, someone int- you take, you get interested by, you know, a team get interested in the next tournament and, and so on. And you kind of get on the roller coaster and, you know, you all of a sudden you, you're playing consistently for a year or two and, you know, that type of thing. And it's just the way it is, unfortunately. and Unless unless you can put in a seriously head-turning innings, you know, you've really got to be do it over a consistent basis over, you know, a couple of months leading into a, a draft or an auction or something.
0: We talk about it a little bit, where it, it seems the the hardest bit is actually getting on the merry-go-round. When once you do that and you play a couple of good knocks in a, in a league, it seems very difficult to actually fall off. We've seen a lot of full member cricketers who, you know, I wouldn't put them in the in the world class bracket, but they seem to manage to to churn out gigs here, there, and everywhere because they they play, you know, three good innings in in the CPL, for example, and then you know they find themselves in Pakistan or they pop up in the BBL or they pop up in in Bangladesh so I mean if you look at, at say Paul Sterling in, in Pakistan at the moment are you guys you know itching for, for Paul to do well in the sense that you know one it will give him you know the, the chance to go on and play in, in more leagues and it will also probably in turn help you guys as well being exposed and a lot of teams thinking you know what if if he can do it then why can't the, the rest of his international team
3: yeah massive first of all we we, we, we want Sterling to do well because he's our mate first and foremost you know and and, and you know obviously Sterling's been a, an unbelievably class player for us for the last, you know, 18 months or so. Um, you know, and it's, it's funny because franchise leagues haven't seen the best of Sturlow. Um, You know, the the performance he puts in for us over the last two years or so has been unbelievable. Um, and he deserves his chance. You know, he's he's been one of the best players in one of your best, one of the one of the best players in the English system, you know, certainly twenty twenty system uh, over the last four or five years. Um, while he was there with Middlesex, you know, consistently he was up up top of the run scorers, you know, at a, at a very very good strike rate. Um, so yeah, for him, you yeah, hopefully he can go over and you know play well and put in some good performances, and then, and then I suppose from the flip side of that is, you know, if he does well, teams might start looking at you know some of our younger players to to take a chance on. You know, at you know, at a lesser price, and you know they can put in some good performances for for franchises around the league as well. So um, you know, I think obviously Rashid can take an example. You know, he was he's obviously an unbelievable bowler. You know, he he did well in in I think it was his first hit in international cricket for a couple of years. You know, and got into the IPL, and he was very very successful in his first year or two of the IPL, and all of a sudden Nabi got selected, and 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 Majib then got selected, and like. Them getting selected is probably because of how successful Rashid was, to a certain degree. Obviously, those two guys, Nabi and Majib, are very good bowlers, and they're very good players in their own right. But, you know, you'd pose a question. If Rashid didn't get selected in the IPL, would would teams have taken notice of Nabi or Majib? I, I don't know. But because Rashid is so successful successful in the IPL, I think teams realise that, you know, geez, Afgh- Afghanistan have got some very good players. And um, Well, who's this, Muhammad Naby? Oh, look, Majib is very good as well, and they've signed them
2: and the fact that Naby went to sunrises as well and i think there was a sort of a you know we'll have someone that you well, can play cricket very well but also help him acclimatize and and, and feel more at home that maybe the fact that uh, that you guys are happy to travel everywhere and can just you know shrug shoulders and and, and get on with it you know the fact that sterlo doesn't need you to go uh, to be picked with him but i, I comes straight to my to my head i sort of think 2011 this is what we're we're here commemorating was there ever a sniff from for the ipl did did you, did you do you get close? Did you talk to franchises?
3: There was, unfortunately. Well, I say unfortunately and as a result, you know. Um, so I was back home after the tournament. I think it was in April time. I was doing a an Easter camp in my local cricket club and uh, I got a call from Cricket Ireland and uh, it was the director of cricket at the time and he was like, oh, the Carola Tuskers are interested in you for the IPL. Someone's got injured. They want you to go over and play and I was like oh yeah cool yeah that's a, that sounds unbelievable brilliant and uh I said I'll just let you know I, I didn't put my name in the auction so how does that work and uh he goes okay leave it with me and then he rang back 15 minutes later and he says oh yeah you can't get signed because you weren't in the initial oh, auction no. which happened before the World Cup in January January or something oh. so I'm like at the time I was like oh, for sake like why didn't I just stick my name in and you know, but at the other, I mean, I had no idea that I'd go and score 100, even go and score 50 in a World Cup, you know what I mean? And I didn't have an agent at the time, so I didn't really know the ins and outs of putting an name into into a draft or an auction at the time. So so I suppose, yeah, it's a bit disappointing to get the call and you're thinking, yes, happy day, he's going to the IPL, and then 15 minutes later, actually, no, you can't go. So, uh, yeah, that was a bit disappointing.
2: Bez, did, you, were, you were nodding when I asked that question. Did you know that story?
0: Kind of. So I I remembered that I think I I read that you know had that innings been about a month or two earlier you know things could have been completely different. But it was so bad. Just listening to that story halfway through and just knowing what the what the, <laughs> the outcome, knowing the ending before he even had to say it was
2: because no, when I asked I was like have I just asked a question that like I'm the only one in the room that didn't know the uh no. didn't know the story? But uh, no, I I didn't know that one. No, no. Wow.
0: I mean. I don't think Kerala were particularly good financially in terms of paying their players, so you might have dodged a bullet in a weird <laughs> roundabout kind of way. I don't think
3: that's going to help him. <laughs> uh, but as you as you said as as you said earlier on, it's easier to it's easier to sorry it's harder mm. to get into the league than get out. You know, so you look at that. You, you, you flip back 10 years ago, you go in there and you I mean, have a few good innings and you I don't know you might get retained or released, but then you're back in the next year and someone picks you up and you're just on the merry-go-round of that. And then, you know, you go here, there, the other leagues around. Because you're associated with an IPL team, it instantly franchises probably think that, you know, you're a better player and, and that mm-hmm. type of thing, which is which is, which is is to get back to the question originally, it's the frustrating thing. You know, you you see, it's not everyone who plays in the IPL is a good player, don't get me wrong. But you know, you see people, these same people get picked every year, same people get picked every year. It's like, can teams not, and, and these players never play games. So you're paying X amount of money to someone who doesn't play. From a business point of view, it does not make more sense to pick, pick someone of lesser value. And he doesn't play. You're actually saving some money. But I don't
0: know. <laughs> you're preaching to oh, the choir here. Yeah.
2: I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're so... I know. My neck hurts from nodding already. So just like...
0: <laughs> there yeah. is a severe underappreciation for the scouting system in, in cricket. Cricket is so far behind a bunch of other sports when it comes to recruitment in terms of you know financial strategy. It, it's actually unbearable watching that auction and, and seeing some really good players go completely unsigned for a base price and then watching players have their... The <laughs> auction numbers just skyrocket thinking you know this guy averages 14 with the bat and 35 with the ball I, I, I'm I, not going to name any names here but they're not worth you know a lot of You know, they're not worth the money that, that people invest in them but yeah it is it is highly frustrating and yeah I can only imagine what it's like from a, from a playing point of view
2: yeah we're just fans you <laughs> know we're, we're we're wanting to see the talent that we that we see on the on the fringes of attention to be recognised you know let alone you guys that you know looking around mm-hmm. and, and knowing the numbers and playing against these guys yeah, you're stronger guys than us. Just to uh, sometimes keep just <laughs> yeah. just to just to just to turn the other cheek and just <laughs> just carry on. But yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know. I didn't
2: know that story. And wow, just something you know, like sliding doors. Really, I don't know whether you'd thought about putting your name in. Had it even come up before 2011? Had it come up to put your name in, and you decided not to, or it just hadn't even come into your mind? Yeah.
3: Uh- hadn't. I, I don't think it. I don't think it even occurred. You know. I think it was just a. You know, because the IPL was probably what two or three years old at that stage. Yeah. 2008 was the first tournament. I think. So eight, nine. So only three years old. And you know, I was just yeah. I mean, I was just happy enough playing away with Ireland. And you know, the franchise kind of leagues and the Mary like getting on the bandwagon hadn't really crossed my mind. You know, I was just I was happy enough being at home and just doing my thing. And you know, as you said, if if only if only now you know you just think cheaper is just if that was now you think i'll just stick the name in anyway for every league and then you go and do something you know a month later your happy days well yeah it was
1: was good to see a few irish guys put their names forward at this one do you reckon that's sort of your (laughs) experience is kind of a bit of an inspiration of you know just just in case just put your name down just think you never know
3: yeah well i suppose you you do never know you know and, and like you've you've if you're not in, you can't win, kind of thing, you know. And and I suppose the, the the also disappointing thing was, you know, for the next seven years, I put my name in the IPL auction every season, you know, 2012 onwards, and you know, didn't even get didn't even get a sniff at, and which which was which was disappointing, you know. Even though you know the World Cup was a year on, you know, I, I still kind of certainly in 2012, and you know, then 13 and 14 I had a couple of good seasons in the CPL and you know a couple of good years in England. I thought, oh, there might be a chance if I go in at low value. But ultimately, no, no, no bets, and that's that's the way it is. Unfortunately, you just got to live with it. Um, you know, I've been, as I said. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to play in other leagues around the world, and you know, I had an absolute blast at, in those tournaments. Um, so yeah, you just you just got to take take what you're given, really.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, that uh, it's what what was it like going back to to the CPL after after that? You know. That love you had for rum and coke that you developed it was were you reacquainted <laughs> after
3: that? Uh, yeah, so uh, obviously I played thirteen and fourteen for Trinidad. Um, so yeah, I've been back to the Caribbean a couple of times since then, and yeah, I've got two bottles of El Dorado rum at home, um, <laughs> one unopened. I think it's a it's a twenty one year old bottle of El Dorado, which is which has been unopened since two thousand fourteen. So hopefully hopefully it's still okay. But yeah, I might have to pop, might have to pop open one of them soon, and a little Roman coke.
0: You you know that they're a sponsor of the tournament. You only hear it in the commentary. Uh, every every three overs, every time a dinger gets hit, <laughs> just you know, everyone's financially obligated to say that's an El Dorado celebration or some sort of you know rum six after after someone puts one into the stance.
3: Um, yeah, I, I think they were a sponsor at the time as well. So I think that's why I had a couple of bottles. I think um, I, I suppose was, that's how got them after a match or something, or they were left in the change room during a game or something like that. So I stuck it into my bag and brought it back to the hotel room.
2: (laughs) So what, what will it take to open that 21 year old bottle of rum then? What, what are we looking forward to, to crack it?
3: I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm certainly going to open a bottle of red wine tomorrow night. Um, I don't know if you guys know, I'm doing a Q&A Zoom tomorrow with um, cricket fans around Ireland and stuff. So I'll, I'll, I'll open up a, a, a bottle of red tomorrow in celebration for the, for the 10-year anniversary.
2: Well, you know, we can always edit, the, edit this bit out if it goes terribly or something really bad happens. So that's fine. So hopefully if people are listening to this, it went well. well and hopefully for that, from, from an academy point of view, it gives a good, good exposure. And are you doing one-on-ones through Zoom as
3: well with people virtually as well? Uh, no I, have, I haven't done that and I ha- I wasn't thinking of doing it you know because I think you know a year of Zoom I think people are kind of fed up with Zoom a bit you know I mean I think certainly from a coaching point of view I think you, you need to get kind of the hands dirty and get get stuck in you know and ugh, how much can you learn on the Zoom call really um, you'd rather be there there doing it in the, in the actual nets but um, listen if if this keeps going this COVID keeps going and level five extends and this type of stuff, you know, it it might be the only thing is to, you know, take, take coaching online and hopefully it's, it's, uh, you know, the people get benefit from it. As
0: long as they're not dear, sir, I'm all rounder. um, (laughs) You'll be, you'll be be okay. (laughs) um, Just off the top of my head with you and Afghanistan, getting full membership at the same time. I've noticed you guys have played a lot of cricket against each other. Are you guys almost banding together, trying to push each other on a 1v1 basis in the, in the hope that you guys are getting more attention to push into that 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 top 10 and beyond?
3: Yeah, listen, I think I, I'd say, I mean, Afghanistan are probably our closest rivals now in terms of, you know, uh, how much we've played against them over, certainly in, certainly in my career. Um, you know, I think I've played them some like 45 times or something, um, something crazy. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose their success certainly does, you know, drive us on, you know, seeing seeing their, you know, what they've achieved over the last, you know, four or five years. And they've obviously got a, a test victory. They might even have two test victories, I think. Um, you know, they're playing a test series now against Zimbabwe, starting in a few I think a few days time. So um, yeah, their success drives us on. And, and I suppose from an individual point of view, you know, the, the success, success their players have had, you know, in, in T20 leagues around the world, you know, you can mention the, the list goes on and on. How many players were playing in Abu Dhabi T10, for example, or, you know, how many of them have played in England, Australia in the Big Bash, obviously the IPL, Bangladesh Premier League as well. So I think that spurs us as individuals on as well to try and, you know, get a few of our boys on that bandwagon and get them, get our lads playing in those leagues as well. So we've been trolling through
0: the, the questions that our patrons have sent through, and we've got two um, that we easily can combine. One from Jaren, one from Rohith. Jaren asks, uh, who have you enjoyed batting with the most as a teammate? And Rohith asks, who, who is your favourite cricketer that you have played with or against?
3: Um, The favourite batter to but with um can't say any siblings <laughs> Niner probably wouldn't be there anyway <laughs> he just runs me out i was gonna say i i, I don't reckon i reckon he would. <laughs> yeah, he's run me out a couple of times now <laughs> why does that always happen it's, yeah. I don't know. the wars and the o'briens yeah i know yeah um who the favorite person to bat with um i enjoyed battle with poran in the cpl um he, obviously he was very new to kind of franchise cricket. I think he was only 17 or 18 at the time. And just to be at the the non-striker's end to watch him bat, even then, you know, he was unbelievable. I remember he played in innings for Trinidad against um I think it was against Guyana. He got 60 odd off about 15-16 balls in Queen's Park Oval. And he was just just to be there watching him bat is just unbelievable. And obviously now he's gone on and he's He's one of the one of the best batters in the world at the moment. Um, you know, his his ball striking even then seven years ago, whatever it was, was was unbelievable to watch. Um, and just you know to see him become the player he is now, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to watch him bat, and you know, obviously had a up up close and personal eye when when I was doing my coaching stint in the T ten. Um, watching pooram play, he's just he's just second to none at the moment. So it was pretty cool to bat with him. Um, favorite cricketer I've played with or against, probably Dwayne Bravo. To be fair, he's obviously the, just his energy and the way he goes about the way he plays his cricket. Um, you know he enjoys it. He always plays with a smile on his face. You know he's he's a good captain as well, and you know he was good to me when I played with Trinidad in two thousand thirteen and fourteen as well. So. Yeah, kind of keeping the Caribbean feel of this chat with the Roman Cokes and Boran and and now now uh, the champion himself. But <laughs> um, yeah, Bravo would be would be would be number would be up there. Certainly on the top of the head would be one that I've enjoyed most playing with.
0: I mean, yeah, he's he's one of the. He seems like the most fun out of just about anyone there, but it's actually quite telling just how well he's done to prolong his career, you know, being a, an out-and-out all-rounder, a, a seam-up bowler, and now he's kind of that death bowler, runs his fingers over something. He can come in and, and, and bat, you know, long and deep into it, and innings as well. He's kind of reinvented his game and and he's done it for you know almost as well probably as long or longer than, than you have as well you know two cricketers that have been around and, and consistently found new ways to to kind of reinvent and and keep on top of how cricket is is played at the highest level I think
3: yeah and no, it's it's, inter- I, it's interesting because I think he is he is he's quite a big thinker of the game um, you know and I think he he does think a lot about his cricket and about cricket in general um, you know, and as you said, ways to kind of stay one step ahead of the curve. So yeah, like he's he's gone from, you know, the type of cricketer he burst on the scene, he was probably more of a bowler, um, who, who could bat a little bit early on, and you know, then he turned into a proper all-rounder playing, you know, you just think of some of the knocks he played in the IPL and you know, in CPL and stuff. And the big bash when he played a couple of years in I think it was the renegades. And then and then, you know, then you you talk about a slower ball that, you know, was probably he was the first person to kind of bowl that type of slower ball maybe apart from Malinga kind of undercutting it more more so from you know we got it from the baseball side of of, of sports so um yeah like he, he I think he is he is a deep thinker of, of the game and of, of his game especially to, to stay one step of the curve to continue his career as long as he has
0: now Kevin a question that we ask everyone here on the pod and being an aspiring umpire, this one might be a little bit sacrosanct. But we we do want to ask you if you could change one law of cricket, what would it be and why?
3: Um, first of all, I need to look over my law book and and uh, <laughs> learn the laws first of all.
2: <laughs> um, You're a qualified umpire; you can't you can't yeah. use
3: that one. <laughs> um, it's an interesting one because you know, obviously, some some of the laws are you know. Some of them are, are absolutely crazy. You think about it. You know, but you know, they've been obviously been in, in around they've been around cricket for so long. Um now I don't know if it's a law or if it's a regulation, but mine is gonna revolve around the DRS and the umpire's call.
1: Ah, uh, yes.
3: I think if the ball's hitting the stumps, it should be out. Um, you know, certainly you see these you see these decisions when, you know, the balls hit the pad and you know, they go up for it and, and you know it, it, it the Hawkeye reveals that it's just clipping the stumps and it's umpire's call and it stays as a not-out decision. But, you know, if, if, if it didn't hit the pad, it would, would have hit leg stump and probably knocked it out of the ground. So I don't see how that can be given not out. So that, that's the one thing I would change or, or, or tweak it slightly where, you know, maybe less of the ball... Is hitting the stump, it's still given out. Um, but certainly, something around the umpire's call with the RS and the, and the LB would be something I'd look to change.
0: Breaking news: Kevin O'Brien decides to. Take back his bowling card and to give everything that hits his thumbs out. I can't believe I can't believe that. I thought you would have been definitely on the on the umpire's call. Chad, it just seem just seems to just seems to say bat bats more than bowls.
3: I reckon I'll be a bowling umpire. Oh yeah, I, I have a feeling I'll be a bowling umpire. I'll... An itchy LBW finger. Well. If it's hitting the stumps, it's out. No, can't argue with that. <laughs> so there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of quick games.
2: So who are you modelling your your umpire signals on? Do you have a like in your head? Obviously, when you're batting, you bat like Kevin O'Brien. But who are you umpiring like? Do you have a, an umpire of the past that you you feel like you, you're doing the same?
3: I used to love the way Steve Buckner gave decisions out just the nod of the head and then the look away and that. I just loved it. And um, was... <laughs> it takes three years to make a decision. <laughs> uh, and I remember there was an Indian umpire called Venkat who I used. He used to umpire a lot in um when England when England would be playing test cricket and he was umpiring a lot so when he gave oh, David Shepard was a bit of a classic as well he, he used to shout that's yeah. out as well didn't he
0: yes just a yeah, point yeah, at yeah. batsman just be like can you start walking
3: yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so uh, he, he was obviously he was obviously the main umpire when when I was growing up watching test cricket and you know you would see him shouting at the at the batsman that's out and waving <laughs> his, his index finger so maybe something in between those three guys that's good.
2: Uh, Venkat, you know, I think we mentioned it with Claire, the same one. I remember that sort of arm sitting out, out yeah. to the side, given, given Mark out LBW in the, um, the semifinal in 96 against the Windies, <laughs> that one that uh, nipped back and kept low. And there he was just that kind of simp. Tim's uh, still bitter uh,
0: about it, as you can tell. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, speaking of DRS,
2: it probably might have just hit him outside the line, but it doesn't matter. You it know. gets
0: brought up, I reckon, every third podcast.
2: Okay, we've brought up twice, and I won't again. Okay, if you've heard heard me mention this twice, message us, and I'll never <laughs> mention, mention it again. Um, but again, Australia went on to to bottle it in the the final anyway, so it, it, it doesn't matter. But um, no, no, great ones there. But um, I think it was always great those World Cups for us that were so used to seeing just sort of Aussie umpires and the occasional overseas tour to see all these other ones from uh, from other countries. Cyril Mitchley mm. um, was. We- was one for me in '92. Now nobody will be able to see me do this, but he, he would like to give a four and and be like chopping the chopping the air as he'd give it. And I, even when I'm going back watching highlights from the '92, I'm like Cyril Mitchley, where, where have you been all my life? This guy, this guy who's doing almost like let's give him the chop, you know, um, as he's as he's giving a, a boundary. But um, look, that's going to mean nothing to everyone that's just listening to this. But uh, <laughs> that, that means nothing to people who are watching you, Tim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that looked more like a dance move than an umpiring signal if i'm honest i reckon that was tim cutler at, at london circa 2019
2: look if i have to bring something up on youtube again i know you guys have to watch me watch the sharks preliminary final from 95 <laughs> from last week and sort of just like goggle box but i have to bring up some 92 highlights oh. and we'll get it up but yeah another can we day.
0: do kevin o'brien bangalore goggle box mm. Do a watch along. Yeah, we've got some con- so we've got it- some contacts at the ICC. I'm sure we could pull a few strings here. I- I'd be all about it personally.
2: Now, watching party yeah. that'd be good, and just the camera back yeah. on. But Kevin uh, oh, Kev will be on the <laughs> Kev will be on the reds. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it's been incredible having you on, Kevin. In what is you know set to be a pretty special week for you. Enjoy it, soak it all in. Um, enjoy all the the positive chat that's thrown around. It's clearly deserved. it has been an unbelievable international career for you and for, for Irish cricket over the last you know 10 to 15 years. You've seen it all. Um, congratulations once again. And thank you for for joining us to, to tell some of your stories here on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Cheers, guys. Thanks a million. A huge thank you again to Kevin O'Brien for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. That's everything in the Emerging game this week. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already, so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon, that's dot com slash Emerging Cricket, where you can support us from as little as $2 a month. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler, and myself, Daniel Berswick, see you next week.